Hi, everybody. My name is Bruce Montgomery, and this is my colleague, Tracy Priest, and we're with The Road to Retail. Our goal here is to help small, challenger, emerging, or in some cases, dormant brands in the consumer packaged goods industry figure out how to win at retail, whether that's how to grow online and prove out your concept, how to go from the farmer's market, how and who to approach as that first retailer. The bottom line is we would love to help you be successful by highlighting some of the things we've learned along the way, both the good and bad. I would suggest you do more of the good and try to eliminate the bad. A little bit about Bruce and I. So Bruce and I have been in consumer packaged goods for 30 plus year in what we call commercial operations. So you're probably asking yourself, what do you mean by that, Tracy? And what we mean by that is sales, marketing, managing relationships with brokers, agencies, distributors, also in product development and other uh, aspects of the retail process. Also in future episodes, we are gonna be inviting uh, former colleagues and guests uh, to our podcast so they can share their key learnings and opinions with you. And I think we're gonna, you're gonna find that quite uh, helpful in our future episodes. So uh, the way to best connect with us is on our Road to Retail LinkedIn page. Please like that, as well as uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is also Road to Retail. Great. So today's topic, we're going to talk about how to go about getting a meeting. And if you watched the first episode, one of the things we spoke of was you really want to look for a good match about what retailer you should approach. Just because someone wants to give you a meeting, it, it's hard not to get excited about that. But there, there are ways to think through um, who you should approach. And we'll go into that in more depth in, in a later episode. But let's say you've narrowed your scope down and you've picked the right retailer to approach. You know who you want and why. But now, how do you get that meeting? So part of the work Tracy and I have done was aside from our own experience, about a year ago, we interviewed 12 buyers from some of the largest uh, big box food, drug, mass, specialty, grocery uh, in the US. So these are their perspectives as well. So this was a question we put to them. So one of the things that came back repeatedly was these buyers said, for a small emerging challenger brand, what gets them to pay attention and give that meeting is if they get a call from somebody they know or from one of their colleagues saying, hey, you should really take a look at this. And more than once, we were given a verbatim of, hey, relationships matter. So if it's someone, if, if you as the brand owner or entrepreneur, if you've worked in, in say, skincare for most of your career and now you're with a smaller firm or you're trying to do something completely on your own, these retailers will remember you and they'll know that you know your way around the category. Um, also, it's important that they feel good that you know how to do business with them. And we're gonna cover that in greater depth. And my last point is, we heard over and over from the buyers is they want your product to have a meaningful point of difference. One of the terms they said that I'll never forget was they said, I don't need any cut and paste brands. So we use the example um, last episode of being the seventh chocolate chip cookie on the shelf. Unless you've got a unique angle to that of you know lower calorie or unique sourcing of your chocolate or a cause behind it, that's gonna to be tough. Tracy? Yeah, great uh, point, Bruce. So 
Really, I think what Bruce is saying uh, is relationships matter. So use your relationships, your industry contacts, reach out to other small challenger brands, ask them for a recommendation on some sales help or who best to work with us, but with a specific retailer. So uh, uh, one of the things that I wanted to point out on our next point is that there are different types of sales agencies and brokers. So if you're looking to work with a major big box retailer or big drug customer, like a CVS or a Rite Aid, a Walmart and a Target or a Target, you really want to make sure that you are working with a sales organization that have boots on the ground, know that retailer inside and out, and primarily that that's all they do. So most of the big retailers have uh, brokers uh, in their area that that's all they do is that one single account. I highly recommend that if you're going after those big box retailers, that you use a broker that singularly knows that retailer inside and out. And a lot of times that broker or sales organization will have worked for that retailer and has really great relationships. Another type of broker that you might wanna consider is one that is channel specific. For example, there are several uh, sales organizations and brokers that just work exclusively in the natural channel, or maybe it's the dollar channel. You wanna make sure that you have, you're working with a sales team that knows that channel well. For example, if you're working in the natural channel, you wanna know, work with somebody that knows Whole Foods really well, or some other natural retailers that have very strict ingredient requirements. They're gonna know that and basically give you some good advice before you approach that retailer to make sure that you meet those ingredient uh, requirements. Bruce? Yeah, the, the other thing I would say to echo Tracy's point on working with a, a selling organization that knows their way around, one of the things that the buyers told us, all of them, is that one of the things they fear about bringing on a small challenger brand or someone new and emerging that's not done it is they fear that the brand is going to be quote unquote needy and they just don't have the time to get on the phone with you, you know, six times in a week or respond to 12 emails. Some of the buyers told us that one of their very first tests upon acceptance is they'll speak with their admins if Bruce is calling too often, asking the same questions over and over, or if they can't get the, the documents filled out for a new item form or into the portal to do whatever you need to do in there these days. So that's, again, a lot of times you're only gonna get one shot. So make sure it's a good one. Moving on, another way that buyers will sometimes find you and that you can help prove your case is if you're getting traction online. So whether you're a digitally native brand and you only are selling through your own website or if you're selling your own website plus Amazon or if you're a brand that only exists on Amazon, believe me, retailers have a ton of data. And if you're starting to move the needle anyway, anywhere, they're probably picking up on it. Um, another thing is if you're already in say one or two retailers, the people that compete head to head, so an easy example is Target, Walmart, Walgreens, CVS. If you're in one and getting any traction at all, believe me, their key competitor will know that because they mark off of them. So that could be a second account to go to once you've proven out that you can keep up with the orders 
and your fill rates good and your hitting velocity hurdles. Those are just things to keep in mind. Tracy? Yeah, two tools I wanted to mention as well um, as to build awareness of your brand uh, to retail buyers. One is using RangeMe, uh, which is a service that you can subscribe to and put your brand up there and buyers can look through different brands and categories. And the other one is uh, participate in an ECRM conference. They have several of those by category in both branded and private label. And that's a great way to uh, get your brand in front of uh, retail buyers as well. Hey, one other thing, one other thing to add to what Tracy just said, um, the ECRM conferences, but also another way to get that first meeting is if you invest the money to go to one of these trade shows, you know, buyers are at these shows looking for things that are new and interesting. And, and if you strike up a conversation with one of those men or women, and they say, call me, do it. They've, they've opened the door. So trade shows can be great. And I, I want to reiterate Tracy's point about Range Me. Any of these services that are out there working and representing your brand while you're either doing other things or sleeping is, is perfect. Because in this hopefully emerging from COVID world, everyone's learned to work differently, right? So it's now not just, you know, pick a number, 7.30 in the morning till six at night at these retailers headquarters when they might be seeing people. Um, when we interviewed folks, they were saying, hey, I'm looking at new items at my kitchen table after I've helped my kids with their homework and they're in bed. So being flexible in how you can approach these folks is also very helpful. Sorry, Trace. No, that's good. And trade shows, I just wanna let you know that uh, they're coming back. Um, so look at distributor shows, you, UNFI and Kehi are coming back with in-person shows where you can uh, purchase a table and uh, meet with retailers. And then also the bigger shows like an Expo West coming up in March, and then you've got an Expo East. So trade shows are coming back and they are coming back uh, with in-person versus, versus the virtual, which we've been uh, dealing with since uh, the onset of COVID. Good. Good. So one of the other things um, to set yourself apart and get noticed uh, by a retailer and get a meeting is to make sure that your product has a point of difference. We mentioned this in our last episode, but we just can't overemphasize it enough. And we'll probably mention it in future episodes as well. Buyers are looking for new and innovative products. They are looking for products that will be incremental to their category. That's really what they care about. So as much as you might, might love your brand, the buyer's got to feel like it's got a point of difference. As Bruce uses the example all the time about the 12th uh, variety of chocolate chip gluten-free cookies. You've got to have a point of difference that will catch the buyer's eye. And one of those points of difference is to make sure that you're meeting maybe an unmet consumer need that's not being currently uh, offered in the marketplace. Yeah, and, the, and the point of difference can also be, ideally, it's something product related. So when Tracy talks about the buyer, think about it this way. And again, for you veterans, this is old news. But for those of you that might be newer, the buyer cares very much about their category. So let's say it's our cookie buyer. And right now their category is doing $100. If, and they have six brands. If you're going to be the seventh brand they put in, and in a year they've only done $100, you might be thrilled because you have some of those sales. The, the buyer is, is not happy because they went through all the work 
to add your brand, hoping that it would build their category. And all they did was add complexity to their set. So your point of difference, ideally it's in the product, but maybe you have a, a very retailer friendly case pack. Maybe you're supporting a cause, you know, maybe you're only buying ingredients from organic farms. So there are ways to think about that, you know, where you're not just competing on price or you're putting in eight times more chocolate than the other cookies, et cetera. Tracy, anything to add there before I move on? No, nope, I think that's perfect, Bruce. Thanks. Okay, great. So another thing that retailers want to see when they're looking at these smaller brands, again, as we mentioned last time, taking on any small emerging brand involves some level of career risk for the buyer because you've caught their attention, they're interested, they're starting to think they're going to roll the dice with you, but they're going to go to their, their manager and they're going to be like, are you sure? And you're, the buyer really isn't but you've, you've hopefully eliminated as many points of discomfort as possible, right? So what, else, what can make them feel better? Is the leadership team credible? If you've got a couple of people working with you that know their way around the account, or they've been in, say, skincare for 25 years, the buyer's going to feel better. Their manager's going to feel better. You've represented and worked on brands that have been in these accounts before. You kind of know the game. So that that relieves a lot of their angst. Tracy? Yeah, no, great point, Bruce. I think you you hit the nail on the head there on, on the importance of that. So um, one of the other things I wanted to mention is to make sure that uh, your brand is aligned with the retailer's channel strategy. So if you've got a premium skincare that retails for $29.99, the dollar channel is probably not where you want to go. A lot of brands make the mistake of, well, I want to be everywhere. And we really are proponents of the rifle approach, not the shotgun approach. Another uh, example would be the natural channel. If your product does not meet their, the requirements, uh, ingredient requirements that these natural retailers have, like a Whole Foods, as I mentioned, then there's really no reason to go into you know, the natural channel. So you just got to make sure that your products uh, match that channel strategy. I've actually worked on other you know, supplement brands where they're like, well, we want to go in. We have a, a trial pack. We want to be in airport shops. We want to be in convenience stores. So don't take the attitude of, I just want to be everywhere. Take that rifle approach and be where you're going to be most successful with your distribution. Bruce? Right. So Tracy's exactly right. The one thing I would add on, on strategy is there's two things actually. One, think again, play to your strength. So if you're a brand that is starting and you're in New England, don't get too excited because someone will give you a meeting for a, a grocery store in the Southwest. That probably is not going to be your best chance to, to succeed. Start at your strength and project out from there, regional. Second, is when Tracy's talking about, is your product a match for the strategy? That's exactly right. But as a new emerging challenger brand, another word I'd ask you to develop in your vocabulary is scrappy. So while no one wants too many SKUs, and for those of you that aren't in the business, that's each individual item that you make, be somewhat flexible. I mean, if someone says, geez, you know, Tracy, I'd love to take this on, but you know, I'd, I'd put this in a 50 store test in my bigger format. Could you give me a bigger size? Don't say no right away. Okay. You, you, you're a little guy. You got to be scrappy. 
you may have to agree to a few things you, you, that might cause you some um, upset stomach for a while, but you, you have to be easy to work with as a challenger brand. If everything out of your mouth is always no, they're going to stop asking you and you always want to be asked. Um, pressing on. So here's another thing that's on everybody's mind. And especially when you get the meeting, the buyers are going to want to know that you have funding in place to actually do what you're talking about, right? And funding does not just mean, oh, I can go out and pay for XYZ, you know, digital program, or do this killer Instagram or hire Serena Williams to be my spokesperson. It means, do you have enough money in the bank to fill an opening order? And Tracy can tell you some stories about that. Do you have enough money to fill an opening order? Do you have enough money to fill those turn orders before you actually potentially start getting paid? Do you have money in the bank to support that retailer with their trade spending commitment and expectations? And for the, we'll go into this in depth in a later episode, but for those of you who think you're not gonna spend money with the trade, good luck call me, we'll put you on air because everyone will want to know how you did that, okay? And then they still want to know, how are you going to drive pressure against the consumer to generate awareness and trial for your brand? Because again, you have to get up to that velocity hurdle within those first six months, which means you're selling at an expected rate that keeps the buyer happy so that you're not at risk of discontinuation. Tracy, anything to add here? No, I just uh, want to just reemphasize the importance of funding. This is not for the faint of heart getting into retail. It is expensive. It takes a while to get a, your, a return on your investment. And we tell all the brands that we work with, you have to be patient. You have to be realistic in, in what you're wanting to do. And again, we really recommend the rifle approach. Start in a specific channel. Start with a specific group of retailers start in your region and your home area and kind of build out uh, from there. So I think that's what I would leave our listeners for today. Tracy, I, I think you summarized well. I think we're ready for your big finish. Absolutely. Well, if you uh, have any questions, uh, please uh, reach out to our LinkedIn page, Road to Retail, or to our individual LinkedIn pages. And also we uh, welcome you to uh, like our uh, YouTube page, uh, Road to Retail. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Good luck out there.